we gather together, and then um, we, what we do is we, we listen to the word. We, uh, as followers of Jesus, have um, for, for a long time, if you're new to the Christian story or newish to church, we open up this, this book, this book that has influenced some of the greatest movements uh, that we have seen throughout, throughout the world and throughout history. And for all the ways that people have tried to abuse it, what's beautiful or try to co-opt this, this way of Jesus, what is brilliant and entirely unique to the way of Jesus, it is, has all these self-correcting prophetic edges to it. It constantly reminds us and brings us back to the center and to wholeness. And there's always a prophetic edge from the margins calling people back into what it truly means to be a follower of Jesus. And so today, what I want to talk a little bit about, and I'm just going to kind of jump right into this. I don't have a lot of time, so if this feels a little whiplashy today, just try your best to stay with me. At multiple times in the talk, I may just stop and go, are you with me? And then at that point, you just lie to me and you go, yes, we're with you, Pastor. And it makes me feel slightly better and it might re-engage you for a moment. Um, we, uh, we are um, starting this, this new season that is called Eastertide. And it's just traditionally these 50 days. I love it. It's like 10 longer than Lent. 50 days that we just remember the power of the resurrection. We look at some of the stories uh, that happen in the church. Or sorry, the stories that happen in Jesus' life after he rises from the dead. Uh, if you were here at Easter, we talked a little bit about those. It's so interesting what he chooses to do, to go after his friends who are doubting, his friends who've walked away, his friends who had a call on their life, and they disconnected from it. And so we, we love this phrase. Ooh. That was almost a... We love this phrase, raise life. What does it mean to raise life in a culture of death? So since we started this church, this is what we've done after Easter is zero in on that, that idea of, of what does it mean to join with God in raising life in a culture of death? Because we are called to be Easter people in what we all very well know is a Good Friday world. It's a hard world. It's a world of crosses. But we are called to be resurrected people living in some way in this new reality. And so kind of what I want to talk a little bit about today, and we're going to have baptisms today, which we're really excited about. People who have said, yes, yeah, it's, it's awesome. Um, there's like a whole family being baptized today. It just, it, I, it, it, I, I, I start to, I'm going to cry at least six times, so I'm sorry, guys. Um, just six, though, not seven. What, uh, what I kind of want to do is sort of just talk to them mostly. I was imagining if I could sit down with each one of you and like grab a cup of coffee, like, or grab like a 10th cup of coffee. We've, talk, we've all talked on the phone to a degree. And like, let's sit down and, and then I would love to just share a little bit because you guys are dialed in, I think, on what's happened internally. That's why you're doing this, right? You're, you, you're in a family where Jesus is being declared as Lord and you're accepting that incredible, amazing grace. You've recognized that God has done this work in your life. You have said yes to him. All of this, this beauty. But there's a communal element to baptism. There's a part to baptism that is you're being, um, you're, it's sort of a, it's a marriage covenant. The closest thing might be to like a wedding ring. There's nothing implicitly magical about going in the water, but there's something mysterious that happens in the same way for those of you who've been married. When you put that ring on, the ceremony of that, of the moment and the coming down the aisle and, and all of it, it, it seals, it, it's like really important 
to say, yes, I'm committing to you. Yes to our love. Yes to your love for me and my love for you. It's not a perfect analogy, but it's pretty close. And in some mysterious way, this is what's happening. It's going, I'm now also, I'm part of a whole new reality where I am, I am married and not just who I was. As, as followers of Jesus, this moment is a marker. And the reason why I want to talk to them in front of all of you is because my sense is that some of you need to get a little bit of water on you today. Some of you need to get a little bit of baptism on you today. So you guys, when you get in there, you just splash them. All right, just, right? Here's why. Because we need, some of us need to be reminded that we're not playing a game here. I want to talk about raising the church in a culture of individualism. I want to talk for a minute. This is like one of those sermons that, that, that you probably won't leave comfortable. And some of you for sure won't come back. Not because anything will be offensive, but because what I'm proposing is the way of Jesus in the church traditionally when it's been a movement that's reflective of what the scriptures say. And, and some of y'all aren't interested in that and you just kind of want to come to a nice service and be all right and, and just feel a little bit of maybe encouraging words. And Joel Olstein has a video stream for that. But we're talking about something that sounded like shade and it was a little, but it wasn't a lot. God bless everybody. I don't, I don't know his church. I'm seriously, I was playing. But I, I want to talk about something else. So let me just jump in. There was an article I was reading recently in the Atlantic, and there was a, a young atheist who was talking, and he said, Christianity is something that if you really believed it, it would change your life, and you would want to change the lives of others. I haven't seen too much of that. Ugh. All I want to do is like write the letters. Like, I have, I have, but I get where you're coming from. I, I, I have, in fact, that's pretty much my only proof of the resurrection that Jesus is alive. I haven't seen too much of that. Christianity is something that if you really believed it, it would change your life and you'd want to change the lives of others. If it's not changing your lives, what's the, the point? And so to get a little bit of the individualism, I want to talk about that culture in church. The early church leaders didn't have the things we now consider essential to faith. They didn't have official buildings. They didn't have vision statements. They didn't have social media. They didn't have live broadcasts. They didn't have celebrity pastors. They didn't have really good sneakers. Anyone seen that Instagram account? They didn't even have a completed New Testament. And yet they loved and served and prayed and blessed. And slowly over hundreds of years, they brought the empire to its knees. And they did it through love. We have these temptations in the modern church that we believe that we're somehow making this massive difference because we can point to our little inner bubble and look at these big things happening when it's really not. We're sort of easily dismissed often by the rest of the world. How could the early church capture the imagination of the empire while we, with all of our resources and all of our rigor, are slowly losing influence in our culture? I think part of it has just been we've gotten sucked into this church's entertainment culture. Instead of seeking to be equipped, instead of, right, like we've been talking about this last year, saying if you're really believing that, like, we don't come to church, we, we, we want to be the church, which means as you're here, you should be constantly asking the question, what, what is God inviting me to how to express the life of the movement of the way of Jesus in my everyday life? If we don't do this, we run into a problem. And so to speak to my, my sisters and brothers being baptized, 
the reason why you're going down into a watery like tub like this, I was talking to, to, to one of the little girls and she was just saying like, yeah, I'm not really a big fan of going back underneath the water. I'm like, yeah, who is? And I just thought for a moment almost to say to you, I almost thought like to say like, yeah, like, you know what? It's a little scary for a minute and actually that's okay. So not to be like really depressing and it's kind of a little heavy, but this is sort of like a little watery grave. That's what it literally is meant in the scripture. We're, we're recounting for a moment what Jesus has done. This is a dying to ourselves and being raised again in Christ. The call is to lose ourselves. Most of Jesus' invitations were not simply personal invitations to like invite Jesus into your blood pumping muscle. They were invitations like for all of us to be rescued and saved together rescued into a community of love. John 13, 34 to 35. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. We all know this and love this, but radical individualism in our world that has infected our community so easily, it's the temptation of all of us, and I am included in that. It overshadows our faith. Here are a couple lenses, public, private, uh, and, and personal lenses we tend to see the, our faith through. So, so the public being like, you know, what do I do with my, my life? So this is where like our careers and our hobbies and our job, when it comes to the public sphere, I think a lot of us have a temptation to ask Jesus this question. Jesus, God, you're there as like my divine genie to help me out. What should I do with my job? What are my gifts? How can the church help me reach my potential. In essence, this is where we see the role of church as almost like a chaplain to inspire us with like spiritual energy for a new week. I resonate with anyone? Like, like, oh yeah, like this is how the way of Jesus affects my public life. What should I do with my career? You help me, help me along, help me live my best life. Two, in the private level, the second sphere is that our private lives, our homes, our finances, our intimate relationships, when it comes to this area of life, we're often seeking answers to questions like, how do I deal with loneliness? What do I do with my sexuality? How can I figure out how to get out of debt? So it's sort of like life skills realm. How do I live a balanced life? If I throw a little church in there, I get some morals, maybe my kids won't like mess up so bad. Right? Maybe I'll be a little kinder if I go to church every once in a while. I'll be nicer. I heard Justin Bieber goes to church. Maybe I should go to church. Personal level then. I'm trying to keep it real for everybody in the room. This is the, this is the sphere of the heart. So it's intimate in that secret place that's filled with doubt. And so we ask these questions. I come to church. All right, so on the private level, it's can I trust God? Can I actually hear from God? What do I do with these really difficult passages in the Bible? What do I do with the fact that you got like Dr. King on one side, but then you got like Donald Trump on the other saying things about God? Like how do, how do I make sense of all of this in my heart? And there's nothing wrong, let me be really clear and pause you if I've already lost you. There's nothing wrong with any of these questions. Nothing. These are human questions, but if we always put our needs first, we've positioned ourselves as the master and Jesus as the servant. And this may seem like a bit of an accusation, but we know this happens when we say things like, I didn't really like the worship. I didn't like that Pastor Andrew was leading. His voice sounds awful. I didn't get anything out of the sermon. If the public and private and personal are the only 
like defining levels that we think about Jesus's call, we've missed something critical to his message and we've skipped over the call to follow Jesus in the larger body. Christianity is something that if you really believed it, it would change your life and you would want to change the lives of others. I haven't seen too much of that. That cuts to the heart of it. A faith that's been co-opted by entertainment and individualism loses its compelling force. Maybe the world is just bored with church because they expect to see something different, but all they see is a reflection of themselves. They don't see something radical enough. They don't see something from the margins. They don't see something that's just transforming people's lives. And so they're like, why bother? Jesus said this, right? This isn't like some like brand new thing. Most of Jesus' time is spent going after this one thing. He says in Matthew 5, 13, when the salt loses its saltiness, it is good for nothing to be trampled underfoot. So how do we move past this? I think it starts by getting below the surface of our consumer culture and responding to the way of Jesus in a different way. So public, what do I do with my career? Private, what do I do with my social life? Personal, what do I do in my heart? If these are our natural reactions to the way of, like how we think about the way of Jesus in our own personal life, I want to offer up this one. And it's this, like another level, like a communal level, denying myself for the sake of following Jesus with others and being on mission. So th- this, we're sitting down with coffee. Not coffee. Some of you are like, coffee? Bubble tea? Yeah, no? Sprite? Sprite, a little Sprite. I got one of those Mexican Sprite bottles, the, the, the glass ones. Good talk. <clears throat> I want to talk about four things, four shifts that I think are critical. If you're here and you're a passive follower of Jesus, maybe you're not a regular church attendee, like there's no, no guilt, shame. This is like for our in-house community. But I hope when you look in on this, you'll go, oh man, if, if churches were like this, if this Easter time we could commit to new levels of these shifts, we would see even more. Because this stuff is happening in our community, amen? We've seen some unbelievable, bre- you don't even know what it is yet. We're, the things I'm gonna talk about, we've seen some breakthrough in our church. And so this is like, think of this as like a biannual call to like, hey, we got to pay attention to our propensity to drift back into individualism and not see the powerful call that God has for his community. When you're being baptized into a new community, you're pledging allegiance to the kingdom of God, no longer the U.S. When you're being raised up out of the water, you're pledging allegiance to a whole new way and whole new world and to do that together with people and experience the joy and blessing of life. First shift from, you got two Ds on this one, from dabbling in our faith to devotion. Acts 4.32, all of the believers were in one heart and mind. Acts 2.42, right, says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed. All the believers were together, had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they'd meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts. This is not some mellow thing. This is why I'm okay like joking around at the piano and pulling out signs. For those of you who are like, oh, it's not very reverent. Don't know about this church. Like, find another church. Like, glad and sincere hearts. Like this is a joyous occasion when the saints would come together 
because we are Easter people in a Good Friday world, but we are sent out into that world. We are sent out into that world. And so the invitation here is they devoted themselves to all of this, to the Lord's prayer and to worship and to taking care of one another, to serving the poor, to stepping out, right? It says the power of the resurrection was so mightily at work among them that there were no needy in their midst. God was adding to their numbers. There was something contagious. And it's because, though, they were devoted. The word devotion in this passage modifies everything else we see in the text. They devoted themselves. It's intensity and it's intentionality. There's an intensity and an intentionality. These early church folks set them apart these things apart, the spiritual and the physical and the financial and the intellectual and the relational. Uh, Academic Noam Chomsky once famously said that the vision of modern life is an individual alone in a room looking at a screen. That was written decades ago before we had screens in our hand. I mention that because our propensity Like, we know we are created for more than this, and Jesus longs for us to live remarkably different lives than the world around us. But we so often have so much of our attention and energy focused on nothing. We are being invited to devote ourselves, to rearrange our life where something like entertainment becomes a very peripheral thing and not at the center. A friend of mine tells this story. I've seen it here and there, and you've likely seen glimpses of this devotion. One family in our church community has passionately committed themselves to being disciples of Jesus in the context of the city. He works in finance, she's a teacher, and they have small children they care for amid the demands of their career. This description could apply to a lot of families today, but one quality makes this family stand apart. They're always available. No matter what's on their plate, they're always offering to serve and to give and to love. I once pulled them aside and asked how they managed to do this when everyone else seemed so overwhelmed. His reply astounded me. He said, quote, I told my boss what my priorities are and how many hours a week I'm willing to work. I told him I was only going to give so much to my job so I could live out what is important to me in the other areas of my life. His boss told him he was committing career suicide and that he would never rise above middle management. He said, that's the price I'm very willing to pay. I'm devoted to what? Climbing the corporate ladder so I can make a little extra money than the other person and then die with it in the bank account? God's heart is that we would shift from dabbling in community and in church to devoting ourselves to his kingdom in such a way that the world is jarred out of its idolatry. Idolatry. You do what? People in this room, I have four kids and I'm gonna f- start fostering. Like they're not filling some hole. There's no holes to fill. Their life is insane. They have four children. But they have a call on their life, so they rearrange everything else to do that. Because That's what God called them to do. If they didn't do that, that's where the trouble is. We're invited to step into and ask the question, God, what are you inviting us to in this season? Devoted to, I gotta move a little quicker, transience to permanence. 1 Timothy 1.3. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus. This is the writer 
uh, talking about what it means to be planted and rooted in a place. There's a massive shift for like our transient, rootless world. The average American now moves five, every five years. We drift across the continent following job, everything, as long as it impacts our relationship, our, our wallets, very rarely even our relationships. And it's safe to say that the central metaphor that shapes our cultural consciousness is that of like always being on a journey, always moving, always one foot out the door, always wondering what's on the horizon beyond this transience, moving from thing to thing has become second nature. It's a reflection of radical individualism because we don't really care about anybody else often when that comes up. Or we've all become so used to it, so it's not weird when our best friend and we built a whole life and family together, but you know, I could get a little bit of a better job and so I might as well. Now there are reasons to move. But perhaps transience why we don't give the effect of, like, we don't give the effect of restlessness on our souls much thought. Even less do we consider how it affects the health of our local church. So many of us live today where we just move into a new area, buy a house in a neighborhood we like, put the kids in school and get on with our lives. We shop for a church but rarely commit because we always want to keep our options open or be ready for the next move. We come, we take, we leave. And to deal with this lack of commitment, churches used to have to, like a, like a practice, used to do like a transferring membership. Any of you come into church? Some of you have done that. Like you transfer membership from church to church. When someone moved to a new place, the last community would like vouch for their character and faith. And it was an attempt to like weave, I don't know, weave our faith together uh, in all these mobile lives. But it, even that sort of impulse is essentially dissolving. The reality is that relationships take time and to love our neighbor means that we have to know our neighbor. And it's really hard to know somebody. One writer says, um, the, great, the great commission for followers of Jesus was to go and make disciples, like go and demonstrate the love and blessing and peace to the world. And, and this writer was saying, I think right now in our country, the invitation is not go, it's to stay. Stay and make disciples. Stay and make disciples. Three, we have to get out of this, this constant transience and say there's something more to our life than just chasing my individual things. Three, from preference to proximity. You like the alliteration? Yeah, I didn't come up with it. From preference to proximity. For God's example, Ephesians 5, for God's example, therefore, is dearly loved children. Walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This shift requires like the capturing of the imagination of the world. This is a, this proximity like determines our capacity to love people well. Like it's hard to love people the way Jesus calls us to love if we never, ever see them. One writer says this, talking about intentional community. It says, the 20th century will be remembered as an age of wondrous creativity when Americans voluntarily shattered their lives into distant and dissonant fragments. America's industries learned how to assemble atomic bombs, airplanes, iPads, and the genetic codes of life itself in the same era that American society disassembled the ancient overlap of family, food, faith, and the field of work. Americans reached for the stars as they withered their roots, inhabited space, but lost any sense of place. It's brutal. Do you feel that in your soul at all? 
You sense that's there? Maybe not for you, but just sort of the air that we're breathing. The way of our modern lives, the way our modern lives are organized makes it incredibly challenging to be the kind of church that Jesus had in mind. Even if we want it with all our hearts. It's hard to demonstrate sacrificial love for others when we see them only every week in a programmed Christian event. If we're going to love like we're called to, it will require far more intentionality than bumping into each other at like the coffee bar and shaking hands. I, I live now on the east side, and it's been interesting to see the, the Orthodox Jewish community. Every Friday night, the streets are lined with people walking to the synagogue, right? Grocery stores are careful to like highlight their kosher options um, because of their observance of Sabbath. These Jews, off, they live within walking distance so that they can shut everything down and there's a sense of really doing life together in proximity. They're choosing to live in close proximity with each other so their collective vision can come to life. And they've had a profound impact on that side of the city. Remember, the followers of Jesus, that is our, that is, those are our roots. This is Jesus, Jesus' vision is influenced by this. We base so many of our decisions on safety, school quality, and the number of nearby amenities. And it's, it's real. There's nothing inherently wrong with that. But there's no kingdom intentionality in it either. Why do I live here? Why am I doing this? It's not always a call to the most radical thing. It's just asking the question. Can you say the word intentional? It's just intentionality. You're not going to drift naturally into being more loving, holy, connected, full of relationship. Like you're going to have to have disciplines and people and intentionality around you that you might grow into the person God created you to be. I love this passage in Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 2.8. So we cared for you. So we cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. This is one of the writers who just cares about these churches. He's setting up these communities, these house churches, who are demonstrating the love and peace and justice and beauty of the way of Jesus to the world. And he goes, we cared for you. We loved you. We delighted to share with you not just the gospel. In other words, we weren't just like setting up a church, like like an institution. Like we are here to share our lives with you. Paul, when he's leaving one of his churches, the elders and community come around and they're weeping. They're like, don't go, Paul. We've seen the way you've loved and cared for us. Who will cry and weep when you leave our church? Like, like, who are we sowing into and investing in? And this goes to everybody. The social butterflies are like, yeah, I got like 16 people. Like, I'm talking like to the wallflower in the room who like just really doesn't like people at all. (laughs) It's okay. We actually need you to reach other people who don't like people. You guys need to pair up. Seriously. Our last one, from belief to practices. James 1.22, you following me? You with me? Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. The final shift that the ch- our church should make to reorient faith from something we just believe in to a lifestyle defined by what it really means to be a Christian. This may seem so obvious, but it's not easy. We may live in one of the most spiritually deceptive times in the history of the church. Hear that. I think we live in one of the most spiritually deceptive times. Here's why. We are so overwhelmed with Christian content for those of you who are in this world, some of you have no idea what I'm talking about, but there's like a lot of Christian content out there. 
The same way there's a lot of like Game of Thrones content out there. There's a lot of Avengers content. Anyone see the Avengers movie? You guys know who dies, right? Just kidding. I didn't actually see it. I haven't seen the last two. I'm, I'm a DC guy. Give me Batman or death. <laughs> now, I love that. I just love that. There's no, no guilt, but like I start talking about Avengers. People are like, mm, amen, no, boo. Like talking back, like the Lord. No, that's cool. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But we're so overwhelmed with Christian content that it's not humanly possible to put into practice half of what we hear. Do you know how often I am tempted to give every week the sermon I gave last week? For myself, not just not you guys. Like, we just like more content, please. And it's, and it's forgive this analogy if this hits close to home. Forgive me for the crassness of it, but it, it, I think it works. And it's important. It's like spiritual bulimia. We like gorge ourselves on Sunday fatten ourselves up, and then we just throw it all up and starve ourselves the rest of the week. We're being invited to, like, take what we're hearing. It's not how did Andrew do with his sermon. It's how did you do? Are there ways that I could think about being devoted to the way of Jesus in a different way? If that's the only question you take away from that, take it, journal it, write it down, put it in your notes, make it part of your morning devotion. Take a deep breath in the morning and pray, God, I want to be more devoted if I really trust that your way is the best possible. Like, I don't know. But to begin to, 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 to move to a place where we take that verse seriously, don't just listen to the words and deceive yourselves. Do what it says. I am convinced that so many of my friends have walked away from the faith because they have just gotten swallowed up in an intellectual exercise and have not put their feet to the ground and their shovel to the soil and got into the game. I sound angry because I'm angry. Because we weren't just invited to, to like invite Jesus into our hearts and go to heaven. Someone sold some people some bad theology. And the way you make sense of truth is you do it. Jesus says it. You want to know it's healthy? You'll know by their fruit. You'll see it happen. The highest value in the Jewish consciousness and thus the Christian consciousness was always flesh, was always fruit, was word to deed. When we look at the ministry of Jesus, you see him apprenticing his disciples, not just teaching them. Pastor Sarah was saying recently in a workshop I was in, she was saying it's not, it's not, um, it's not instruction, right? It's education, He's not just giving them stuff to think about and remember. He's actually trying to educate them and bring them in to a life to love and to act and to relate and to practice and to embody, like, in flesh. Like, let's, let's try it together. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives us a clear picture of the practices he wants. Kindness over judgment. Practice it. Forgiveness over vengeance. Purity and faithfulness. Turning the other cheek. Loving, praying for, and blessing our enemies Praying and fasting for God and not people. Giving in secret. Seeking God's kingdom and not material riches. Seeking God radically through persistent prayer, like being open to him. Building our life on observing these practices and obeying Jesus' words. We are called to love the outcast, challenge hypocrisy, lay down our lives for one another, celebrate the good, the true, and the beautiful, and give generously, all while seeking God and finding him in mysterious and miraculous ways. And then when the challenges of life come, when the struggle comes, we will be deeply rooted in God's love and his grace will enable us to walk through it with perseverance and with joy. Do you hear that? 
I've given my life to this, to just help others get that. And I know many of you have too. Like, I'm telling you, trust me, everything will change. Everything will change. Jesus modeled these, all these shifts for us in incredible ways. I want to end here. He prioritized his life around loving people. He didn't dabble with love, but devoted himself to his disciples. He washed their feet and restored them after they failed. He died for them and everyone's sins and then rose again on their behalf. He came to us to secure a place for us. He takes his kingdom and this earth seriously, and he has been preparing a place for us. And one day he will make all things new. He did daily life with them, watching them, loving them, teaching them and training them. And he put his love into practice. This is why when we respond Folks getting baptized, this is why when we respond to the call of Jesus to say, to deny ourselves for the sake of the family, for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of life with Jesus, this church, the church will look less like the world and more like the movement of love that it is called to be. Amen. A church that looks and loves like Jesus in the midst of our culture would be an irresistible thing irresistible thing. I want to read this to you guys, especially the young ones. There's this day, day of Pentecost. This day when the Spirit drops down. And for some of you, there's this, there's this moment in your life that has either happened or will happen. And for me, it kind of continues to happen where you just sort of wake up more and more and more to the things of God. You realize how much you're loved. You realize how much love you have to give because of what Jesus has done. And so Peter, Peter says this, Peter said that because of all the promise of the Father and the Spirit, the Spirit would be poured out on all people. He said, your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Many younger people in our culture have no vision for the church. They see it as increasingly irrelevant. Many older people have lost their dreams. Some in this room have just become calloused and hard and distanced themselves and muted their expectations. Has anyone in this room muted their expectations? Anyone? Like you had expectations for what the church could be, what life could be, what your call could be, and you just muted them. Like I'm gonna dial that down because if those expectations are too high, they're gonna get wrecked. But if God called you to do that, if God called you to move in that direction, he's calling you to turn the volume up. Old men will dream dreams. The kids will see visions of the future. When the Spirit is poured out on the people of God, young people recover their vision and they begin to see the possibilities for the people of God. Older people reclaim the dream in their heart and believe the best days could actually be ahead. I'm watching my father hitting, about to hit his 70s, zeroing in on this. I swear he thinks he's going to just live forever. He is. The church in its very nature is called to be a movement of dreamers and a movement of visionaries. And that's what you guys are being baptized into. And that's what some of us need to get a little little water on us for and about. Just like this is a preview and a picture of like what God's doing in their life, this moment and what it means to be a church is meant to be a preview of something so much bigger. I was attending a movie recently and... uh, (laughs) 
and you know, there's the previews before the film, and, uh, and uh, it's a long story. But basically, leans over to me. Somebody leans over to me, and says, "We we have got to see that movie. We got to see that." I'm not gonna tell you what movie it was, but it was funny, and it just got me thinking about the art of the movie trailer. There are so many films, and if and we have so little time that those two-minute cliffs clips. Those little two-minute clips have to somehow reach into our hearts and, and, and pull out the response, I have to see that. That little trailer, that little two-minute clip has to somehow go in and look, you gotta see the last Avengers movie. You gotta see it. The church is like that. A, comp- a compelling preview of what's to come. Easter people, resurrection people, in providence as it is in heaven. All of that language is about being a preview of what's to come. You're called to offer a picture of how beautiful self-denial, shared discipleship, and the mission of Jesus can be in a world where people are just looking at screens and people have their head down or people are throwing themselves into beautiful causes, but like their whole worth and life is wrapped into that and they just burn out or they put, they've misplaced their hope that they can save the world. We live in a world that so often looks at the church and sees things that Jesus railed against like hypocrisy and exclusivity. So together, the sanctuary church, together in this moment of baptism, may we put the brilliance of Jesus on display in such a way that elicits only one response from the watching world. I have to be a part of that. Are you telling me people can still change? Are you telling me people can actually be transformed? Are you telling me people move into like certain neighborhoods in order to heal, love, and bless? Are you telling people like totally don't climb the social ladder or the, or the, the, the career ladder sometimes because they're actually invited to do something different with their call? Are you telling me there's a bunch of people running around who have no fear of death, who have the love of God and identity in their hearts that's shaping their identity and they are free? They are free. Are you telling me that? Can I invite the, the, the baptism folks up? This is what this moment is here.